Good morning. I'm glad that we have the opportunity to gather here and to worship God together. I hope that the scriptures that we look at will encourage you and help you to live a life that will honor God and bring joy to your life. The verse uh, that I would like to look at first this morning is Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. It says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This verse is the theme of what I want to look at for a little bit this morning. If we are focused on this world and the things that we can obtain while we're here, then inevitably our focus will not be on God. When we are focused on God, then the things that this world has to offer start to lose its appeal. I don't think that people were any busier or less busy 50 years ago than we are today. They had jobs and school and extracurricular activities and so on. I don't think things were any slower 50 years ago, but it would have certainly been simpler in regards to technology and the instant access to be able to find whatever you want to get a hold of and to learn about. The distractions that this life affords are never ending, and these distractions tend to grab a hold of our time, our energy, and our focus. Considering these things, what are some things that we can do each day to remain focused on God and Jesus while there's so many things that are fighting for our attention? The first thing that I would like to look at is where is our identity or what do we find our identity in? How do we identify ourselves? There's an endless number of ways or things that one might place their identity in. But we will look at one specific area this morning and that is work or our occupation. If this is not where you find your identity but you find it in some other area of this world, then you can think on that as we go through this and make the application the same. I would think that it's fairly safe to say that when asked what do you do or who are you, most of you might answer fairly similarly to how I would. I'm Kane Marshall. I'm an operations manager for a couple of dairies. I'm Lyle. I'm an owner and an operator of a large farm. I'm Callan. I'm a crop insurance agent. In Scripture, we certainly see the need and the command for us to work and to provide for our families. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8 says, But if any provide not for his own, specifically for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. And also in 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 10 it says, For when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. And in Proverbs 31, we see that the wife does a tremendous amount of work in keeping and caring for her, her home. We'll read verses 11 through 25 there. It says, The heart of her husband does safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She bringeth forth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. 
she considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good, her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the staff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor, yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her, for her household, for all of her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry, her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen and selleth it, and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. It's obvious that God has commanded us to work as we see in each of these verses, and we see the man and the wife fulfilling their role. But nowhere in these verses do we find that this is where our identity comes from. I don't know that if, it, if it's a way that we've been conditioned to think and to believe based on the how based on how the world would answer the question of who you are or what do you do, or if it's caused by a deeper issue of us not valuing what God values. Jesus did not die on the cross so that I would have the ability and opportunity to work in the ag industry. However, he did die on the cross so that through his shed blood I could be cleansed and my sins could be removed through faith and obedience to his gospel plan of salvation. With this in mind, how should I answer that question when asked, who are you? I'm Cain Marshall. I'm a Christian. While not perfect, I strive continually to honor God more each day and to be salt and light to those that I lead and guide at home, to those that I work with, and to those that I come into contact with so that they too can come to know God and be saved and honor him. Acts 11 verse 26 says, and when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And you can read different commentaries on this verse, and, and there's some differing opinions. One of them is that the, the phrase, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch, was not a complimentary statement, but rather one of sarcasm and cynicism. And as I said, there's other ones out there, but if this in fact is the case, I still see this verse in a very positive light. We can see in Romans 12 and verse 2, it says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And also in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. And also in Philippians 2.15, it says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. It's obvious from each of these verses that we are called to be unlike the world, that our lives should be so different that others notice, not so that we receive praise for ourselves, so, but so that God would be glorified. Regardless if this phrase in Acts 11 and 26 was coined in a, in a negative light, the fact still remains that their lives were different enough that, in, that it was obvious to others that they followed Jesus, and they were referred to as Christians first. When they were talked about in the community or within groups, the first thing that was said about them was not their occupation, 
but rather it was that they followed Jesus. That's what was known about them. When people think about me within the church or outside of the church, my hope, my desire is that I'm thought of as a Christian first. Before anything else comes to their mind, I hope it's that he's a Christian. Don't you want that to be the way you were thought of? Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4 says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. In these verses, we can see not only ways to keep our focus on Christ, but we can also see where our identity should be as believers and followers of Christ. In verse 1, we are instructed to keep our focus on things above as we remember that Christ is at the right hand of God in glory. And the reason we are to do this is because we have been risen with Christ. Verse 2 tells us that in order to keep our focus on things above, then there must be a conscious effort on our part continually to eliminate our focus from things of this world. And in verse 3, we see why we are to keep our focus on Christ and to remove it from earthly things. And that is because we are dead to ourself and alive in Christ. Verse 4 sheds light on where we get our identity. It says, when Christ, who is our life. Christ is our life. If he is in my life, then he is my identity. I don't need to look to things of this world to give me a false sense of identity. When you know that your identity comes from Christ, it makes staying focused on him a lot easier. In Acts chapter 27, we see a scene where Paul and other prisoners are being transported by ship to Julius, who was a centurion of the Augustus band. Paul tells Julius and the master of this ship that he doesn't think it's wise to travel. He says that he thinks there will be much hurt and damage, not to the ship only, but also to their lives. The master of the ship believed differently, and Paul trusted him and went ahead with the, with the voyage. There were rough storms going on at that time of year, and it was not favorable to sail due to the storms that came during that season. In verse 20 of Acts 27, we see that those that were on the ship feared for their life. They did not believe they were going to get off the ship. I'd like to read Acts 27, and we'll read verses 22 through 25. Acts 27, verses 22 through 25, it says, And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall come no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Paul knew that he must appear before Caesar, and it was affirmed to him that night through the angel of God. From these verses, and if you were to continue to read throughout Acts 27, you can see that God was glorified. But in verse 23, we see something about how Paul viewed himself. We can see where Paul found his identity. It said, For there stood by me this night the angel of God, of whose I am and whom I serve. Paul knew he, who he belonged to, and he knew who he served. Do you know who you belong to? If so, is this where you find your identity? 
If that is where you find your identity, then do you faithfully serve him? If not, then you need to evaluate your life. If you're a child of God and you're not serving him, then your focus is off course and it needs to be readjusted to be solely on God. The next thing that I would like to consider is that we need to start our day with God, whether it's time in prayer or time spent in his word or a combination of both. But regardless of what it is, we need to spend time with him each morning. I know that this is something probably all of us have heard. We may have even given this advice to someone or had this advice given to us. I also know that it sounds simple and elementary, but it is true. I know in my life that whatever crowds my thoughts first thing in the morning typically gets my attention for most of the day. If the first thing I do in the morning is reach over for my phone and see an email from work about things that I need to get put together for a meeting or for the bankers, then that's what consumes my thoughts until it gets done. And lots of times that means nothing else gets focused until the end of the day. Because until that's done, my mind thinks about nothing else. But I also know that if I start my morning drive to work by listening to sermons or spending time in prayer, that even when my day is busy and filled with work, my focus is on God. As we stated when we were talking about our identity, we know that we are commanded to work. But we are not commanded to work at the expense of neglecting to do other things that God has commanded us to do. I know that each one of us knows this intellectually, that God should be the constant thought in our daily lives and not the fleeting one. But how many of us actually implement that? When we drive down the road, particularly in a place that we are not as familiar with, like the mountains, we tend to pay attention to road signs a little better. If we see one that has a curve and it says 25 miles an hour ahead, we're not familiar with it, we're going to slow down and listen. But what if we see a second one the closer we get? I think we would really pay attention. What about if we saw that same road sign 10 times before we actually got to the curve? At that point, I think I'd want to just come to a stop and figure out what was on the other end of it before I made that turn. Because they're serious about that being dangerous. God has commanded us to work, but we also have another commandment from him in John 15. And in those first 11 verses, he repeats that command 10 times. We might want to pay attention to what Jesus has to say. We'll read John 15, verses 1 through 11. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so will you be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that, your joy may re- that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Ten different times we see the warning or the admonition, abide in me, just as I abide in my Father, abide in me. 
Abide means to stay in a given place or a state, relation or expectancy. Abide, continue, dwell, endure, be present, remain, stand, and tarry. It's obvious that this should be a continuous station in our life and not a post that we can come to and go away from as we please. Abiding in Christ should be a permanent state of our life. We can see the reward of abiding in him. In the passage, we see that when we abide in Christ, we are his disciples. We will bear fruit, and God will be glorified. As elementary as start your day with time spent in prayer or in God's word may sound, we do not need to discount the truth and the power contained in that statement. We need to abide in Christ and his word, and in doing so, he will be glorified, and we can maintain our focus on Christ, which is where, which is where our focus needs to be. Another verse that attests to the fact that we are commanded to work, but we are not to do so at the expense of neglecting to do other things that God has commanded us to do is in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we can make application to this, not only in regards to work, but while we are being educated, while we are with our friends, or even just in our everyday routine of life. God should be our focus, and no matter what we find ourselves doing, we should do it in a way that honors and brings glory to him. Read Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 through 9. And it says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I have commanded thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house and when thou walkest by the way and when thou liest down and when thou risest up. And thou shalt be bind them for a sign upon thine hand and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. I know that this verse is specifically referring and addressing the way that parents should strive to teach their children about God and impress upon them his word and his promises, and we should. But I also think we can make a broader application of this verse. God should be the focus of every aspect of our life. When we are sitting at our home or anywhere else, when we are walking outside, we can see his wonder and his creation. When we are laying down and when we rise up in the morning, God should be the driving force of our life. He should be what we are focused on all throughout our day. We need to go to work. We need to raise our children. We need to go to school. But none of these things should be done at the expense of not focusing on God. None of these things need to be done with the excuse that you can't focus on God because you have X, Y, and Z to do. Because the admonition that we find in this verse is that while we're doing these daily activities of life, we can still be instructed in God's word if our focus is on him. If we are focused on him, we can still accomplish what we need to do physically on this earth. We should be, he should be what we are focused on when we are working, when we are raising our kids, when we were in school, when we are with our friends. God should be our focus. And when we are focused on him and committed to living for him in accordance to his word, we can glorify him in whatever station we find ourselves in in life. The next thing that I would like to consider for a moment is that we need to be aware of our distractions and we need to limit them. We all know what distractions look like in our own lives. I would think that a lot of us share at least a couple of the same distractions and maybe have some different ones just simply because of differing personalities. 
a few things that could be distraction for us and draw us away, draw our attention away rather from God, are work, hobbies, sports, vacations, television, leisurely time, cell phones, or a slew of other things. We can limit our distractions by strengthening our focus. James chapter 4 and verse 8 says, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This verse starts out by saying that we need to get close to God, and that he will get close to us. Another way of saying this would be to say, keep your focus on God. The end of this verse says that if you are not getting close to God, that you are getting further away from him. It says the double-minded man needs to purify his heart. The term double-minded comes from the Greek word dipsokos, which means a person with two minds or souls. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. God and the things of this world are diametrically opposed to one another, which would make it impossible to love either one completely without hating the other. When we attempt to love God, or when, I'm sorry, when we t- attempt to love or serve both God and the world, we end up failing and become unstable. Our focus has to be either on God or this world. When we are distracted by the world and what it has to offer, then we can find ourselves as we see described in Mark chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. It says, Now these things, now these are the ones sown among thorns that they are the ones who, bear, who hear the word. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. If we are a Christian and we allow distractions presented by the world to come in and take our focus off of God, then we are just like what is described in this verse. We have heard the word, and we let the distractions that can come in the form of cares related to the world Riches that can be attained while we're here are simply just the overwhelming want for more things. Then these distractions will choke the word in our life and we will become unprofitable and unfruitful, unproductive in our pursuit to live a faithful life for God. We don't just wake up in the morning and say, I think I'm going to be distracted today. It doesn't work like that. These distractions come and we neglect to focus on God. When we neglect to spend time with God in the areas of study, meditation, praise, prayer, and thanksgiving to Him. If we are not on fire for God and we don't value the things that He values, then becoming distracted is inevitable. The only way to combat being distracted by the world is to be focused on God intently and to seek Him. Psalms chapter 63 verses 1 through 8 says, O God, you are my God, early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water, so I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night, because you have been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. My soul follows close behind you. 
Your right hand upholds me. Early will I seek you. When I remember you in my bed, I meditate on you in the night. I will praise you and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. My soul follows close behind you. It sounds like to me that David was focused on God. We can overcome distractions by focusing on God. Philippians chapter 3 verses 13 through 14 says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. If we are striving to follow God, we cannot allow nor can we afford for the distractions in this life. We can see this played out and proven just a few verses down there in Philippians 3. We'll look at Philippians 3, verses 18 and 19. It says, For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Who mind earthly things. We cannot allow for anything to distract us from God and from serving Him. The application that I would like to draw from this is for those of us that are Christians is that we do not need to look any further than Jesus and the cross to know who we are, to know our identity. When we look at the cross, we see the shed blood of a perfect Savior who purchased our sin debt. Our identity is in Him. When we put Him on in baptism, then our identity is Jesus. My challenge to you would be to stop trying to find ways and means from a worldly perspective to identify yourself. I'm not at all suggesting that if someone asks you what it is that you do for a living, that you don't tell them. But what I am saying is that that should not be the thing that defines you or gives your life purpose. If we truly have an eternal mindset and we have our desires set on things above, then the thing which, or the one that defines us, should be Jesus, not something temporary or worldly. We need to incorporate God into all aspects of our life. Do not compartmentalize him to Sunday mornings only. If he is our identity, then we should start our day with him and be focused on him throughout our day. Matthew chapter 5 verse 30 says, And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Now, I realize that the verses prior to this verse in Matthew 5 are talking about specific sin problems, but I believe we can still make application from this verse in regards to distractions. If you have something in your life that is distracting you and pulling away your attention and focus from God, then you need to get rid of it now. There is nothing that this life can offer that is worth being distracted from God. The application that I would like to take away for those that have not obeyed God's plan of salvation yet and put on Christ in baptism is that in order to focus on God, you have to give up what you have currently been focusing on, and in all likelihood, that is yourself. Are you willing to surrender yourself? Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24 says, And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. We have to deny ourselves daily in order to maintain focus on God. 
Are you ready to make that commitment? I'd like to look at a few verses in closing to encourage us in remaining focused on God. Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. It says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the ex- excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteous which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Paul's goal and desire in this life was to know and to follow God. He touches on two of the points that we have considered this morning. In verse 8, Paul says that he has suffered loss of all things and that he counted it for nothing so that he could win Christ. By suffering loss of all things, he got rid of any distraction that would weigh him down. And he was not sad about this because of what he could gain. By losing everything, he stood to gain Christ. I know that distractions were not all that he suffered loss of, but certainly it would have included that. In verse 9, he says, "...in being found in him." Paul's identity was found in Christ. And we can see that his laser focus on him in verse 10. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 4 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. We need to take the admonition that we find here in verse 2 and look to Jesus. He is our Savior, and He is who we should be focused on. I love the words there in verse 2. It says, Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus not only endured the cross, but it says, for the joy that was set before him. There was no joy in the, pain that would, in the pain that would accompany him there while on the cross, but Jesus saw joy in the cross because he knew what it would mean to each one and what it would provide to those that submitted their lives to him. And now Jesus is at the right hand of God as our intercessor. What an indescribable blessing we have in Jesus. As we remember Jesus and what he has done for us, it should encourage us that we do not become weary in this life. As we live life each day, there is one thing that will determine what gets our focus, and that is what do we truly value. Matthew 6, 21 says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What does the manner of your life reveal that is the true treasure in your life? Is it God? Jesus, the kingdom, or is it earthly things? Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Our reasonable service is to present our bodies a living sacrifice. Or in other words, to give God everything. In order to give God 
everything, our focus has to be on Him. And we cannot be conformed to this world. In order to not be conformed to this world, we must be continually renewing our minds. Having a knowledge and understanding of God's Word allows us to, to discern and examine His Word so that our minds can be renewed through His Word so that we might be pleasing to Him and honor Him with our life. My hope is that the topic that we have considered this morning has been helpful to you as you strive to live a God and Christ-focused life and that it will encourage you to daily pursue Him with a desire that cannot be stopped. If you have a need in your life and you desire for the prayers of the church, or if you've been taught and desire to be baptized, we would ask that you come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.